If you have your Bibles, we need to turn to the ninth chapter of Hebrews. The ninth chapter of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 tonight. As I've already made mention, we're going to be looking. Uh, the writer of Hebrews has given us a contrast. Given a contrast, uh, when he closed out chapter 8, it was a contrast of the old covenant, uh, contrasted with the new covenant. And of course, all of that centers around the Lord Jesus. He is the better covenant. We're going to see tonight as well uh, that uh, we're going to see a new sanctuary, a better sanctuary. If you had to put a title on this evening's message, it would be a better sanctuary. Because the Bible tells us that the new sanctuary is heavenly. Aren't you glad that we're going to have a sanctuary that we'll be able to go to that's heavenly, where worship will be continual and we'll never get bored with it, we'll never get old. It will be new and afresh every single day. And so here in Hebrews chapter 9, we see that here again he's making a contrast. Remember, his audience that he's been speaking to is a Jewish audience. And the Jews, of course, were living back in the past. They were looking at the old covenant. They were looking at uh, old rituals. Uh, They were, of course, very familiar with the tabernacle because the tabernacle uh, was used for hundreds of years. Uh, And then we understand that uh, then they moved into the first temple and then the second temple and on it goes. But we see uh, that this is all a shadow of what is to come. And what's to come is far better than what they had. And so here in chapter 9, we're going to see, and he talks about the sanctuary. He's talking about the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And here again, uh, he's showing or he's trying to explain why that was inferior. Now, it's not inferior because uh, in its content, if you will, because the new old covenant was ordained of God. The tabernacle was ordained of God. The priests were, uh, were ordained of God. The rituals that they went in, all of that was ordained of God. But it was inferior because there was something better that was going to come. Okay? And so here in chapter number 1, listen to what the Bible says. It says, Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. See, he's explaining that the, uh, the, old, the law, all of that was ordained of God. That was not an inferior in its content, but it was inferior because it had to be worked out in the flesh. And when you have to work something out in the flesh, it's always inferior. Right? Okay, so he says, uh, or, or, or divine service, and he says it was a worldly, or some translations say an earthly sanctuary. Uh, for there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick. Uh, here again, uh, some translations, a lampstand, and we're going to explain that just a little, uh, a little bit more in detail. And it goes on, it says, And the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. 
And after the second veil, the tabernacle, uh, which is called uh, the holiest of all. Here again, some translations, uh, it's referred to as the holy of holies. And so he's explaining the sections of the tabernacle. He's describing that there was uh, the first, uh, as you uh, came in from the outer court, uh, there was the inner court. In the inner court, there was the place called the holy place. There was a veil that separated the holy place from the holies of holies. And we see here that when you look at the tabernacle and you go even further, when you start looking at the temple, uh, and even in Orthodox services today, there's barriers. In the temple, there was the uh, different courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. Here in the tabernacle, uh, we see that only the priest could go into the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. And we see that all, as you look in the Old Testament, you see nothing but barriers. Even today, if you go to an Orthodox service, the men sit in a different section from the women. And the way the, their uh, synagogues are laid out, uh, they have uh, uh, like a section here and a section here. And uh, so we see even, even today there are still barriers. But thanks be unto God, when the Lord Jesus comes on to sing, he took all the barriers down. And so then he goes in verse number four. He says, which had the golden uh, censer, or uh, here again, it could uh, very well be called the golden altar, and uh, the ark of the covenant overlaid uh, around, around about with gold, wherein was the golden pot uh, that had manna, some here refer to the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, some uh, will uh, say the budding rod of Aaron. And then he goes on and says, and the, uh, the tablets of the covenant or the law. That's what was contained in the ark of the covenant. And then in verse number five, he goes on and says, and over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. Oh, we can have a spell right there. The mercy seat, and we see the cherubim's and the mercy seat was over the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, and of which we cannot now speak particularly. Verse number 6, it says, Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. We've already explained to that. The priest could go into the holy place. They had a service to perform there. Now look at verse number 7. But unto the second, talking about going into the holy of holies here, unto the second went the high priest alone once in. Every year, not without 
not, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the eras of the people. And then the Holy Ghost, uh, this uh, signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet Standing Here what the writer is trying to say is we understood that because there was the holy place that only the priest could go in and because of the holy of holies we're only the high priest and we see that the veil that was separating uh, and then as you move on into the temple you see that veil that was separating. Here again we understand that when the Lord Jesus died upon the cross the Bible says that the veil was torn us under. And now because we are of a royal priesthood, we now can step into the holy of holies, not through a priest, but because of what our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, did for us there on Calvary. And then uh, goes in verse number 9, he says, which was a figure for the time of then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And look at verse number 10. Which stood only in meats and in drinks and in divers or different washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them unto, unto, unto the time of reformation. Here's what the psalmist is saying there. Not the psalmist. But here the writer is saying in verse number 10. He says, all of this, all of this was pointing to Jesus. All of this was pointing to Calvary. The Old Testament, we've said it many times over here, the Old Testament always points to the cross. The New Testament points back to the cross. The cross is the central message and theme of the entire Bible. And so tonight we're going to look at a better sanctuary so the question that's raised here is, why is the old sanctuary, why is the old covenant inferior? We've already uh, alluded to the fact is, it's not inferior of its content. It was ordained of God. But he gives the answer in these 10 verses. He gives the answer to why it was inferior. In verse number 1, we see that the old sanctuary, the old tabernacle, if you will, is inferior because the old tabernacle was made by man. But the new sanctuary is made by God. But then we see in verses 2 through 5 that we see that it was inferior because it was all a shadow of something greater that was going to come. And verses 6 through 7, we're going to see it was inferior because of the, unex, uh, of the accessibility to get into the presence of God. See, only the presence of God was manifested there in the Holy of Holies. 
and only the high priest, and he could only go once a year. But our new sanctuary that we'll be able to have access to the throne room of the Lord Jesus because he tore all the barriers down when he died for you and for me. But then we're all going to see in verses uh, seven, uh, in verse number eight, that the tabernacle, the old tabernacle, was temporary in nature. Our new sanctuary is for eternal. Well, also in verse number ten. We see that he said it was in offerings, in drink offering. He's talking about the meal offerings. He's talking about the different sacrifices. We're going to see that the old tabernacle was all exterior, but the new sanctuary is interior. It's in here. It's not on the outside. Even though because of what's happened to us when we came to know Jesus Christ, it it happened here and eventually it should show itself outwardly. But we need to understand that God is not concerned so much with the outward. He's more concerned with what's inward. Okay? So we set the stage here. Look at verse number 1. In verse number 1, it says that it was a worldly sanctuary or a, a earthly sanctuary. We understand if you look in uh, Exodus uh, chapter number 35, you will see that uh, uh, the people there would bring the materials that was needed. find it very interesting if you look in uh, Exodus uh, that there was no question on how to build this tabernacle. God gave the instructions and they followed the instructions right down to the detail. By the way, that's a pretty good plan to stick with, is it not? Just go ahead and look at what God has laid out and what God has planned out and what God has said and just go ahead and follow that and you'll be in pretty good shape. And so here we see that it was uh, all made by hand. Uh, Even the furnishings uh, in the holy place in the Holy of Holies. That was all made uh, by man. And so we understand that the new sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, is made by God. And those of us who will be going there, we're all going there because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Not what we did for him, but what he did for us. See, none of us can go and say, well, I was, I, I'm going because I I've given a lot more than anybody else has. Oh, you can't base that on that. You can't base it upon your works. You can't base it on your, your family name. You can't base it upon your church attendance. The only way we're going to be able to go and worship in a new heavenly sanctuary uh, is because of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. And then we go and we see in verses 2 through 5, we see their shadows. Now, in verse number 2, it talks about the holy place, uh, or it referred to here as the first tabernacle. Now, in the holy place, we see the first thing uh, is the lampstand or the candlestick. Now, the lampstand is probably a better translation of that because they would use oil and they would uh, burn the wicks off of that oil. Now, it's interesting that when you go into the holy place, there are no windows, which means that if the candles were not lit, it would be total darkness. 
That reminds us, before we met the Lord Jesus Christ, we were living in darkness. Before we met Jesus, we were walking dead men. We saw no light. We didn't know light. We lived in darkness. But the Bible is quite clear that in, at one time we were in darkness, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's tree, we can now walk in newness of his light. And now he lights our path. And we understand that we no longer have to live in darkness. But I also find it interesting that that candle stand, uh, lamp stand, it had a seven branch. Seven is a very interesting number in scripture. Seven means a number of completion. See what we need to understand is that that uh, candlestick, that lampstand that was in the holy place uh, that light eventually did go out. But the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, his light will never go out. And the light that he shines is a light that will keep you complete and secure in your salvation. Because you're not basing it upon what you have done. You're basing it on what he has done for you. And you were living in darkness and I was in darkness. But thanks be to God, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus showed up in our hearts and showed up in our life and we've never been the same and now we have something to praise him about because at one time I was blind but now I can see. Oh glory to God. I know I have bad eyesight but there's coming a day when I'm going to see perfectly because I'm seeing not with my physical eyes but I can see with my spiritual eyes. And so here we see the light stand. He gives light. But also notice that this light was intended for Israel. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse number 6, and also in Isaiah chapter 49, verse number 6, it was God's intent for Israel to be the light. But they failed in their attempt. By the way, that has been passed on to us as well. See, we are to be the light of the world. We're the light of the world because the light of the world is living in us. But if we're not careful, our lights will go out as well. Matter of fact, there are many churches tonight that they're dark. There's no service. And you say, well, Brother Mike, you're mean to me that every church that doesn't have an evening service is, is backslidden? Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> because the last time I checked, it was the Lord's day. That's a 24-hour period. And what a testimony it is to a lost and dying world as they go up and down the highways and they look to the houses of God and they see darkness. I'm glad that we are a church that our light not only is shining from within, but our lights are shining outwardly. And we're letting this town know we're having service and we're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're worshiping not only in the morning time, but we're worshiping in the nighttime as well. And so he goes and then he makes mention of the table of showbread. Now, 
the table of showbread, it would be a table, and they would have 12 loaves of bread. Now, the 12 loaves, of course, represent the tribes. It represented everybody. But then we notice that on the Sabbath, the priest would come in and they would take the 12 loaves off the table and replace them with 12 new loaves. And the priest would eat the bread that they took off. I started thinking about that. And I realized that the bread is also, the table of showbread is also called the bread of presence. Now when you look in the scriptures, you'll see there's three presents of God. First of all, there's the omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere at all times. Then we also see there's the indwelling presence. See, that's what happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. He comes in and sets up residence in us. But then there is a third, and that's the manifest presence. Now, I find it interesting. Remember, the old tabernacle was just a shadow of a better one to come. And that bread, of course, we understand was what they called the bread of presence. But notice, only the priest could eat of that bread. But Jesus, in chapter number 6 of John, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he comes along and he says something about that he was the bread of life. And he says, I am the bread of life into all the world. Aren't you glad tonight because we're going to be in a new sanctuary and we're under the new covenant that the bread, the life, is not reserved for just a certain few, but this bread of life, the Lord Jesus, is for all who want to take of it. And by the way, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. Uh, listen, listen, I don't know about you, but when I tasted the bread, I was never the same. When I tasted the bread, that hunger that I have, I was looking for peace. I was looking for contentment. I was looking to something to fill the void that I had in my life. But thanks be to God, when I tasted the bread of life, that void was filled and it's still filled today and will feel, be filled into all eternity. And so we saw the table of showbread, the bread, of course, representing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then we also notice that he also talks about, uh, uh, in verse number four, he talks about the golden altar, or a censer, as was read in the King James. That was uh, a golden altar, and on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the only time the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And he went for the purpose of atoning for the sins of the world, of, of the people there. But notice in the text that we read, before he could offer their sacrifice, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself. See, this high priest was not perfect. This priest had sin, just like the people had sin. 
And what a beautiful picture this is of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because you see, He, when He went and sacrificed Himself for us, He didn't have to sacrifice for Himself. Because the Bible is quite clear, He was sinless. That means He did not even have the capacity to sin. I was in a theological uh, class and uh, that question raised up, what do you think that he could have? And I said, that's just foolish. Of course he couldn't. He said, well, how, how could he identify with the people? Well, he identified with us when he came as flesh and blood. He doesn't have to identify with us to become like us. Matter of fact, that's what the one of the problems that we have in the modern church movement today is that they're all saying, we need to identify with the lost world. We need to, no, no, no. We need to identify with Jesus Christ and they need to identify with Jesus Christ. Why would we want to identify with something that they're looking uh, for answers for when we have the answer and that's coming to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Don't worry about identifying with the lost world. Let's identify with Jesus. And when we get that one down, everything else will fall into place. And so here he says, uh, the censor. Now they would take the coals and they would, uh, uh, incense, they would use incense in uh, the Bible. David helped us to recognize this in uh, Psalms 141 verse number 2, that that represents prayers. And so the priest would take these coals off that and they would go into the Holy of Holies near the mercy seat. And they would uh, put the, and, and then the smoke would go up. The Bible says our prayers should be like sweet fragrance. Now here's a question Are your prayers a sweet fragrance? The only way they can be a sweet fragrance is that you are in right position. And you have the right attitude. So you can't be a sweet smell to the Lord Jesus when you have bitterness hidden in your heart. You can't be a sweet smell if you have unforgiveness in your heart. We can go on and on and on. That's the reason why it's very important for us that we make sure that we confess our sins because we need to be clean before we come to a holy, righteous God. And the only way our prayers will be answered and there will be a sweet smell is when we have a right relationship. And if you have a right relationship with Him, by the way, you'll know you have a right relationship with Him because of the relationship you have with one another if you don't have the right relationship with him we ain't going to have a right relationship down here and by the way we need to go to our brothers and uh, we need to ask for forgiveness but here uh, sometimes we get this thing in reverse and maybe it's just me maybe I'm the strange one but it would seem to me is that I make sure I got everything right with God uh, before I come to you to make things right not vice versa. Oh, I'll make it right with them. How can you make it right with him when you're not right with him? And so here, they, they, they were on the Day of Atonement. Now notice the mercy seat. Now the mercy seat, of course, as we go now into the Holy of Holies. 
we see the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is where they believe that the presence of God was there. And the Ark of the Covenant, I find it interesting, there was uh, three atoms. We've already looked at that. There was the pot of manna, uh, there was the budding rod of Aaron, and then there was the tables of the law. Now I want you to watch this, and this ought to get you stirred up. I don't care if you are a Baptist. So here the, the, whole, the, the high priest comes in, and he's taking the blood... Oh, the blood. By the way, it's still the blood. And, and he, he goes and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. I find it interesting that when God looks down, he sees the mercy seat, he sees the blood. Notice that he, the law is hidden. That does not mean that the law has no relevance But when the Lord Jesus now looks at us, he looks at us through the blood. You're made right. You could go ahead and you can quote scripture. You can know your Bible from uh, frontwards to backwards, backwards to forward, and that's all well and good, and you ought to study the Word of God. But my dear friend, when you stand before a holy God, he's not going to ask you how much of the law did you do and how much did you you, uh, take care of. He's going to look at you through the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he looks at the blood, he sees you holy and blessed blameless. Oh, we sing about it all the time. There's power in the blood, the wonder-working blood. We sing songs about how the blood has covered us. And here we see, even in the old tabernacle, we see it was still the blood, the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice in the old tabernacle, the blood that was used was the blood of an animal. And notice also, he had to do that year after year after year but when the Lord Jesus Christ when he poured out his blood for the remission of your sin he only had to do it one time aren't you glad tonight that you've been covered by the blood of the lamb the Lord Jesus Christ and because of that your salvation is complete it is eternal you cannot lose it and he only had to do it one time and so it's still the blood but also notice In verses 6 through 7, we see the accessibility. We've already alluded to this. We see that there were barriers. We see that there was a veil that separate the people from going into the very presence of God. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the veil was torn in half. At this time, there were people worshiping at the temple. Can you imagine the sight? Probably hundreds of people. Jesus has died. And the Bible says that God tore the curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. He tore the veil. And when they looked in, the Ark of the Covenant was not there. Now, it was in the tabernacle, but it wasn't in the temple. Why is that? 
God knows what he's doing. God is trying to say, you don't have to look for the Ark of the Covenant to find my presence. You have to look to my son. And when you find my son, you'll find my presence. And when you find my presence and you call upon him by faith and ask him to come and to save you, he'll come in. And now the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, the presence of God is now living inside of you. I don't know. That's I, uh, y'all, y'all Baptists. I keep reminding myself, y'all are Baptists. If I was in a church of God, they would be uh, they would be flopping around and jumping pews and coming and hugging and kissing and doing all kinds of things. And y'all just sitting there, yeah, you. Do you understand? We're going to be worshiping in a heavenly sanctuary where there's no veils, there's no barriers. And where Jesus said, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men unto me. But notice here, we see that in verse number 8, it's temporary. See, every time they had to move, they had to pack everything up and they had to move everything. It was never intended that the tabernacle was going to be a permanent now, why is that? Why would God do that? God is trying, and I talked to some guys the other day, and when I went to the Orthodox service downtown, I was reminded of that in a vivid way, that they were talking about the law. They were reading about the law. They even read out of the Isaiah, the prophet of Isaiah. And I'm thinking, get to 53, get to 53. And I was thinking about Isaiah 53 where it talks about, uh, our Lord Jesus and, and how all of this here God never intended for the tabernacle to be a permanent why because he knew something better was coming then they moved to the temple he was never intended that he was going to stay in the temple something better was going to come uh, we got to understand. You look through this and you'll see that God's divine plan, it's not that he tried it, didn't work, let's go to something else. God's plans are always right on. You might not understand them. I might not make any sense of them, but I'm telling you, God's plan is right on and his plan always works and his plan always comes to fruition. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world that his son was going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. But he shows us in the tabernacle this is temporary. He shows us in the temple this is temporary. And now he says now that Jesus has come on and Jesus is there in the new heavenly sanctuary interceding for us as we speak tonight that he says now my plan has been fulfilled. Jesus said it this way. Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And aren't you glad that we now live in the day and the age of grace that now we see the big picture. We, we, see, we see them back there. We see them ahead of us. But then... In verses 9 and 10, he says that this 
is also not only temporary, but he says, what I have for you is inward. Everything they did was outwardly. And they said, this is how we're going. And they had to continue doing it over and over and over and over and over. And Jesus comes and he's our sacrifice. The Bible says in Leviticus, without blood, there's no atonement for sin. Jesus has fulfilled that promise as well. He's fulfilled that requirement. See, the Jews, and they have all their answers, but they are banking it because of who they are. They get a free pass. My dear friend, you don't have to be Jewish, whatever you may be. None of us get a free pass. We all have to go by the way of the cross. We all have to recognize it's only by his sacrifice that we're able to be who we are. And we need to recognize tonight there's not going to be nothing else to come behind. We have found Jesus. And we find Jesus, we find everything that we need. Because he's fulfilled it all. So tonight, I do not know where you're at. Maybe you're here tonight and you are banking on because you're a good person and you try to do people right and that's, a, that, that, that's wonderful. and We ought to be like that. But that doesn't save you. You might think that because you've been a member of this church for a number of years... That's not going to save you. You might think because you've done this or done that, the only way that you can have salvation is by knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. None of us get a pass. He's not going to make any exceptions for anybody. We all have to come by the way of the cross. So as we look here in Hebrews chapter 9, We see a shadow of something better. I don't know about you, but when I was a a smaller uh, kid, uh, I was always excited about Christmas. And uh, it seemed like when you're that little that Christmas would never get here. Y'all remember those days? Now you're saying, slow down, slow down. (laughs) We're not ready yet. And and I would, uh, the whole year, anticipation. Anticipation because I was expecting something good. Something that I wanted. Something that was going to satisfy me at the age of nine or ten. See, this is what Hebrews 9 is talking about here. It's talking about that people are still looking with anticipation. Something better has got to come. There's got to be a better way. Talking to lost people, they'll tell you things like that. They'll say, you know, I, I know that I ought to be doing better. And they, they say all kinds of things. And, and I'm going to look, and they're searching. That's the reason why there are so many religions out there. 
and religions that will blow your mind and say, how could somebody be so dumb to, to hook into that? I'll tell you how. It's because they're longing and looking for something that's going to solve that problem they have in their heart. And only Jesus Christ can feel that.